Let's turn together now to the Word of God in Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead 
and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The sermon text this evening is in the first two verses of this chapter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust, my dear friends and fellow believers, that you understand that the first two verses of this epistle are the inspired and infallible and instructive Word of God. They're not just nice words of greeting, but words through which God has something to say to us this evening. We're going to focus especially on that reference to the members of the church of Ephesus as saints which are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. And we're going to do that by way of seeing that that is the way in which God looks on his church and on the members of the church, and therefore also the way in which we must look at one another, speak of one another, and think of one another. Saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. That's the theme of this evening's sermon. Now you might think that because these words are found at the beginning of the epistle to the Ephesians, and because the church at Ephesus was a church to which the Apostle Paul and the Spirit of God through him had very little negative to say that these words fit the church and are perhaps not applicable to other congregations and other churches, perhaps not to us as a congregation here in Linden. But if we take that view, then we're very, very wrong And by looking at other words of greeting, we can see, too, that this is the way that God 
always looks at his church and at his people, members of his church, saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. You might think, for example, of the greeting that the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, gives to the church in Corinth, the church that had all kinds of troubles and difficulties. There were divisions in the church of Corinth. There was sin, serious sin, in the church of Corinth that had not been dealt with. There was doctrinal heresy in the church of Corinth, serious heresy of denying the resurrection of believers. It was a very troubled church, church that was going through a very, very difficult time in its history. But Paul does not say to the church of Corinth or call the members of the church of Corinth sinners and unfaithful, but addresses them this way. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. That is not much different from his greeting to the church in Ephesus. In fact, he describes the members of the church in Corinth as saints, just as he does when he wrote his epistle to the Ephesians. And the great question that we have to answer this evening is how can Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, address God's people in that way? Does God, if we ask, does God address us that way and think of us that way? The answer is yes. This is the pattern according to which God looks at his church always. And when we think of ourselves, then we think of those in the congregation. We probably should think more of ourselves than of them. But we think of those in the congregation who are not faithful in everything, perhaps in family life or in marriage or in other areas of life and wonder how our congregation or any congregation can be addressed as 
faithful. That word saints, of course, refers to the holiness of believers, but to a holiness that we have only in very small measure, and that is not always very evident in our attitudes, in our speech, or in our lives. How can God look at his church then, this congregation, the church in Ephesus, the church in Corinth, as saints and faithful? I think you know the answer to that question, but it's good to be reminded of the fact that that is the way that God views his church, not from the viewpoint of his people's sinfulness, not from the viewpoint of their unfaithfulness, not from the viewpoint of the fact that they have just a little beginning of obedience to him, but he looks at them as saints and faithful. And I think you understand, too, that though there were no major problems in the church of Ephesus, that the members of the church in Ephesus were not that much different from us. That they had the same weaknesses, struggled with the same sins and temptations with which we struggle. Husbands in Ephesus had to be told to love their wives in the same way that Christ loved his church. Wives had to be told in the church of Ephesus to honor their husbands. Children had to be told in Ephesus to obey their parents and to honor them for God's sake. They weren't really any different from any other congregation or church of Jesus Christ. The members of the church had to be told and are told in chapter 5 to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, to walk as children of the light, to walk circumspectly, wisely, and not foolishly in the world. They had to be told to use the time that God gave them in the service of Christ and of his kingdom to be always and in everything they did redeeming the time and especially because the days were evil as they are now. They had to be reminded of the fact that instead of being drunk with wine, they had to be filled with the Spirit. 
They had to be told to worship in spirit and in truth, especially with respect to their singing. Speaking, Paul says, to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things. So the church in Ephesus was not really fundamentally different from the church in Corinth or from the church here in Linden. They were sinners, saved by grace, justified in Jesus Christ, having the Spirit of Christ, but still struggling with the same sins and weaknesses and failures with which we struggle. But the Word of God, and that's the important thing in this passage, does not look at them from the viewpoint of their sinfulness, but from the viewpoint of what they were by grace. And that's the way that God himself looks at his people. That's an amazing thing if you think about it. When God looks at you or at me, then he doesn't focus on all the sins that I've committed. doesn't, in a real sense of the word, see me as one who still has a depraved and sinful nature, though redeemed by grace. Doesn't see me as a fallen child of Adam, but sees me as one of his own children looks on me in love not in wrath looks on me with favor and not with displeasure even though there are times where I look at myself and can hardly stand myself as a sinner and for all the sins that I've committed. And if you ask the question, how is that possible? Then the answer is, in those words, in Christ Jesus. God sees us, not as we are in ourselves, but sees us as we are in Christ. That's the way he deals with us. That's the way he speaks to us. That's the way that he, if I can say that without denying his glory as the everlasting and all-knowing God, That is the way 
He thinks of us. And the reason is in those three words, in Christ Jesus. That word in refers to the fact that we are connected with Christ. Connected with him, first of all, in the mind of God in eternity. God, before ever the world was created, never, if I may put it that way, looked at us as mere creatures or even as sinners but as those who were in Christ Jesus. And that becomes a reality, first of all, in the cross of our Savior. We were in Christ when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead, belonged to him, were in a very real sense of the word, by God's eternal decree, united to Christ. And the Bible emphasizes that when it speaks of us, even before we were born, as those who were given to Christ. He came into the world, as it were, carrying with him every one of those whom God had chosen and given to him. There's a verse in Romans that speaks very not in Romans, in the Gospel of John that speaks very beautifully of that. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, in verse, the first part of that, speaks of three gifts. Thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And that means, of course, that when Christ went to the cross, suffered all the shame and reproach of his trial and death, that he had in mind not only those who were actually with him, during those last hours of his life, but had us in mind, knew us, knew who we were, went to the cross, suffered and died for sin on our behalf specifically. That's the doctrine of what's sometimes called particular atonement. He didn't die 
in some general sense of the word for anybody, for everybody who might believe in him, die in the hope that some would believe in him, but he died for specific and particular persons whom he knew as the Son of God from eternity, who were in him, united to him in eternity. And having looked at us in eternity in Christ and at the cross, God in time actually puts us into Christ, engrafts us, the Heidelberg Catechism says, into Christ, makes us, that's Ephesians 5, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, one body with him. And he does that by working faith in our hearts. Faith that is not just believing, trusting, being confident in Christ, but faith that in the most literal sense of the word is in Christ Jesus. Everything in him. In fact, if you read this epistle to the Ephesians, you'll find that that little word in is used more often than any other word in the epistle. Chosen in him before the foundations of the world. That's the first verses of this chapter. Blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved in, 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 in And that's the explanation for those words. Holy, saints, faithful, in Christ Jesus. Not as we are in ourselves, but always in Christ Jesus our Lord. That includes, as Paul to say here in Ephesians 1 includes the great truth of election in him from eternity. Think of that, beloved. If, for example, you're someone who's converted later in life and you learn the blessedness of what it means to belong to Christ and to be in him. Then you read the scriptures and you find that 
you were always for all eternity in him. And it's no wonder then either that this first chapter of Ephesians becomes a kind of doxology of praise to God whose works are so far beyond our understanding and comprehension. But that's the way God looks at you, thinks of you, speaks of you here in his word. You see that? That in itself, of course, is the gospel. Everything in Christ, justified, righteous, having his spirit, being God's children, all in Christ Jesus our Lord. No truth so great as that. That is the good news of the gospel. And especially, Paul will go on to talk about that here in the book of Ephesians, especially the fact that we are in him by the will of God for all eternity, chosen and beloved in Christ Jesus. But I want to make some application of that too. That's the reason in the passage why Paul goes on to say, Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not just a pious wish. That's the word of God giving grace and peace to the people of God and giving it to them because they are in Christ Jesus. Chosen, loved of God from eternity, redeemed in Christ Jesus, indwelt by his spirit, united to him by faith. They can, must, expect what Paul says, grace and peace to you. Mustn't think when their way is difficult, when trials come, when they're struggling as the church of Corinth was and many of the members of the church must not think that God's forgotten all about grace and peace and is giving to his church something else besides. Mustn't think that all of a sudden because of their sinfulness, God is no longer looking at them as saints and faithful in Christ Jesus, but is dealing with them as sinners and unfaithful. That's not to say, of course, that God doesn't chastise his people, that he doesn't deal with the sins of his people, 
He does. But even then, you understand, he's dealing with them as saints and faithful. Dealing with them not for what they are in themselves, but dealing with them for what they are in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace in whatever you're going through as a congregation. Peace to you. When you don't feel that peace in your own hearts. Peace to you when, as in the church of Corinth, there's divisions and strife, or as we've experienced in our own denomination, when there's been separation in some cases from family members and loved ones. In Christ Jesus, never anything but grace and peace to the people of God. Even when God chastises, even when he corrects, it's still grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. But, That has application, too. And that's what I want to leave you with this evening. I don't want to keep you too long because of the heat. But that's an important part of this passage. Paul says this. And says something similar to the church of Corinth where they were questioning his apostleship where they were criticizing his presence as a preacher of the gospel. Paul speaks of them through the inspiration of the Spirit, of course, as God speaks of them. Sees them when he writes these epistles to God's church. As God sees them, thinks of them as God thinks of his people in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the application of the word of God here to you and to me. That is the way that you must think of one another. That's the way that you must speak of one another. That's the way that you must deal with one another. Not from the viewpoint of what you are in yourselves as sinners but from the viewpoint of what you are 
in Christ Jesus. That's not to say that there are not weaknesses and sins that have to be admonished. Not to say that there do not arise in the church problems that have to be dealt with. But even then, you must, must think of one another as God thinks and speaks of you. Saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. It's not an easy thing to do. That includes the person in the church, in this congregation, who's spoken ill of me. Includes the person who doesn't like me. Sometimes doesn't even speak to me. It includes the person, persons, who've sinned against me, sometimes grievously, who've hurt me in word and in deed. Saints and faithful. And you can see, I think, what a difference that makes in our attitudes towards one another, in the way we deal with one another, if that's really, really the way in which we, following God's example, think of and speak of one another, then we don't just walk by one another without a word. Then we don't cut someone off in the congregation as though because of their sins and weaknesses they're unworthy of any attention at all from us. We don't sit on the other side of the auditorium from them because we're so offended by what they've done to us or said of us. You see? You don't sit then in the worship services of the church hardly able to worship God because you're so consumed with bitterness and anger against someone else that you can't even think of the fact that it's the Word of God that's being preached and the praises of God that are being sung. Saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. That even applies, you know, to the other relationships of which Paul speaks in this epistle. Husband and wife. Are there not often, all too often, problems? Because husband and wife are looking at each other not as fellow believers and saints, 
but as sinners. All the focus on the fact that he or she didn't do this, didn't live up to these expectations, hurt me in this way or that way, and on and on and on. Parents and children. All those different relationships are governed by this. But Paul is thinking especially of our relationship to one another in the church. And not then just giving some nice greetings to the church, but reminding us of something that is essential to the fellowship, the unity of the church, and to what we call the communion of saints. Saints and faithful in Christ Jesus. To live up to that, it's almost as though you have to put on a kind of a pair of spiritual blinders that prevent you from focusing on the weaknesses and sins of the other members and which keep your attention focused on God's work of grace in his people. You make every effort then to see that work of grace and don't just look past it or despise it because it is in fact such a small beginning. That will make a difference. Perhaps a needed difference in this congregation. And then you'll be able to go on too. My dear fellow believers, go on to what Paul has to say in the rest of this epistle about those great doctrines of the Christian faith and about all that he has to say in connection with those doctrines about our life and calling as believers and especially as members of the church. It's essential. The first thing in this epistle. So begin with that. Go back to that, if necessary. Remember what the Word of God says here. Look at one another, think of one another, speak of one another, as God himself, in Christ Jesus, speaks, thinks of, looks at you. 
in his amazing love and grace. And then you'll understand, too, what Paul says as he goes on in this epistle about spiritual unity. One body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. God grant it here in every congregation of our denomination. And God grant it too when we think of fellow believers in whom we see evidence of God's amazing grace and of the work of salvation. God grant that too when we think of them outside of our denomination, those who've left us. Those who don't agree with us at every point of doctrine, still, in Christ Jesus, saints and faithful. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the opportunity to hear thy word this evening and ask that we may take it to heart and use it, especially here in our own congregation, in our relationships to one another. Forgive us, Father, when we are bitter and angry and divided from one another and do not look at one another as thou dost look at us, poor sinners, saved by grace. Forgive us all our sins for the sake of him to whom we belong and who shed his blood for the pardon of our sins. For it's in his name alone that we pray. Amen.